Father, we thank you today for taking everything that is on in our shoulders and everything that is in our hearts. And Father, today as we look into your word, would you speak your truth to us? Would you lift us up? Would you encourage us? Would you give us a, a glimpse of who you are and your glory? We're here today to praise you, Father, and to be under your word in your name. Amen. It's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, my name is, is Armin, and um, I just want to say before I get into things, I just, I would just want to say thank you. Um, as Pastor Nick mentioned, uh, for my family and I, we're, we've been here about two months after uh, relocating and jumping into full-time seminary and uh, the youth ministry and everything else. And thank you so much for inviting us to be a part of your community. Uh, there's there was something that I hoped for, and I, I've expressed it to, to a few people, but I thought, boy, when we go to a new church, I hope to see that my kids can feel comfortable enough to run around and get swooped up by people that they would know names and be greeted. And, and to me, that was like kind of the inward measure of we have a community here. And I, I know for my wife and I, we're, we're seeing the fruits of that. So thank you so much. Uh, there's so many blessings that you poured out on us, giving us a place to minister, a place to, to live, a place to have a community and a place to study as well. So thank you for that. Um, that's huge. Uh, we've been on a series called Being Oak Hill where we're reminded of the values, qualities, and the mission of who we are as a church. These are things that God has called us to, the unique expression of his love for this context, Oak Hill Church here on France Avenue in the greater metro area of the Twin Cities. And as a church, we have a mission. We're not here just to be a social club. Uh, We're not here just to do charity work. Uh, We're not here to be an educational facility. Certainly all of those things happen in a church, but they're not the primary thing that tells us what we are. We're a church. And what's our mission as a church? We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing his good news to the world and caring for all of his children. I'm going to say that one more time because you're going to hear me mention mission a lot but I'm not going to say it each time. So here's our mission. We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing his good news to the world and caring for all of his children. Oak Hill Church expresses and contextualizes this mission of the church in this way, connecting lives and grace and truth, and we do that under the lordship of our king, Jesus Christ. And as we've gone through this series, we keep looking at different words that help define who we are as a church. And the word today is outfitted. And to help you contextualize that a little bit, here's just a, a brief story of, of my life. Um, after college, I went to work for a couple years at a place called Warm Beach Camp in the Pacific Northwest. And in the Pacific Northwest, if you've ever been there before, you might recognize that that name, Warm Beach Camp, is a bit of a misnomer. It was not warm, and there was no beach. There was a lot of rain and a lot of mud. We were located on tidal flats, and literally the bay of water would empty out during low tide, and there was an island off in the distance, and we always had to be warned, don't try to walk across the mud to the island. It won't work. People tried, and they had to get airlifted out. It was bad news. So I I ended up out there after my time in college, and I realized really quick, as, as a Minnesota boy and as a college kid, that I was not properly outfitted 
to work at a camp in the Pacific Northwest where I'd be outside a lot in the woods and the rain and everything else. Because what I knew of winter from here is you get a big puffy coat and you wear lots of layers and you'll be okay in 20 below. That doesn't work in the Pacific Northwest because if you put on all those layers in your puffy coat, you're just gonna end up getting soaked through and it's like wearing a towel all day long. And my college clothes didn't really fit the bill either. I didn't really have good stuff for working outside. So I needed to make friends with people who knew how to live out in the woods and the wilds and the rain. And they took me to REI and they helped me get outfitted for that job. And I'm thankful for that because some of that stuff still is in my closet today. It doesn't work so well out here, but just in case, just in case, I've got it. Church, to live out our mission, we need the right gear. We need the right gear to live out what God has called us to. And I have good news for you because we are outfitted people. We've been equipped for the mission to which we're called. Some of you might remember a a game called Oregon Trail. And it's a game that's been around for generations in many different versions. So hopefully some of you have had an encounter with this game. If you haven't, here's how it works. You start out the game in the eastern region of the United States back in kind of the pioneer days, and you're supposed to go from the east all the way to the west in the wild west and settle down there. And at the beginning of the game, you have to go to an outfitter, and you have to figure out what do I need for the mission that I'm on. But the problem is that you haven't been on that journey before. And so you do your best. You pick the stuff that you want to have in your covered wagon and the clothes and whatnot. And then you get out on the trail and you find out, man, I really should have gotten that other coat or that other package of salted pork or whatever else it is. But you start out the game not knowing that. Here's the good news for us. Because as a church, that's not us. We don't have to play a guessing game about how we're outfitted or what we need to accomplish the mission God has given us. God's given us his word and his spirit to equip us for the mission ahead. We're going to be looking today at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And we're going to see three ways that we've been outfitted. There are many more, but today we're concentrating on three from Colossians 3, 1 through 14. If you're a confirmation student, Here's the three things ahead of time if you're just wanting to kind of jot them down. So here's the three things we're looking at. We're outfitted with farsightedness. We're outfitted with new team colors, and we're outfitted with new character. So with that, let's take a look at Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to go bit by bit through this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. These words were written to a a church uh, called Colossae a long time ago, thousands of years ago. But these words ring true for us today. So as you read them, I want you to be thinking, how are these words written to Oak Hill Church today? When you hear that word you, that's like you all, all of us here together. Since then, you, Oak Hill Church, all of us together, have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When I was young, my eyesight 
steadily declined in elementary school. And every year that I went to school, I had to go back to the eye doctor to get a new, new look at my eyes to see what was going on. And it became clear very, very quickly that I was nearsighted. And when you're nearsighted, all you can see is the stuff that's in front of you. And so my wife knows that if I read a book after I've taken out my contacts or put my glasses down, I read a book kind of like this, like super, super close, because I'm nearsighted. And you can probably catch a little bit of that analogy, because here in life, when our focus is only on what's in front of us, we lose sight of something really, really important. We're in a transition season right now, both weather-wise, but also in sports. If you were on a sports team this fall, if you were playing volleyball, if you were in track or soccer or football, you know that the season is in a funny place because a lot of teams have finished their season. They had to step out of playoffs, but there's a few, a select few that have made it to those championship games. And maybe they're still hanging on, but if your team didn't make it, you're probably starting to practice for basketball season already. I'm guessing that your teams, when you started out practicing in August or July or September or whenever it was, your teams probably did not say to each other, boy, I can't wait to make it to that first playoff game and then pack up and do basketball you were probably hoping that your team could go all the way. And I think our sports teams have a sense for what this verse is talking about when it says that our minds are supposed to be set on things above. Because our sports teams, they're farsighted. They want to be thinking all the way down the line of what's coming in those championship games. They want to get there, right? God hasn't called us to be nearsighted, He's called us to be farsighted, where our minds are fixed on what is above. Here's a takeaway for you. Our sight determines our direction. Our sight determines our direction. If you remember back to when you were doing driver's ed, you might remember there was a time when you were getting comfortable with the car where your hands would kind of do whatever your eyes were doing. And so if you saw a squirrel on the side of the road, your hands would start to kind of go like this and you'd have to reorient. And it took some time to disassociate what you saw with what you were doing. But the truth is, in life, whatever our perspective is tends to influence our direction. Um, my daughter was learning how to do uh, t-ball with me uh, about two summers ago. So she was pretty little. And I just thought, let's try it. It's a warm summer day. I set her up with a t-ball and a ball on top, um, or the stand and the ball on top, and gave her the bat. And I'd kind of hold her arms and try to teach her what she's supposed to do. And if you're a baseball player, you know that you kind of have to have your eye on the ball, but you also have to have your eye on where you want that ball to go. But for my daughter, Ada, as soon as I would let go of her arms, she would take the bat and use it like a hammer and go up to the ball and just go tap, 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 tap. It was like she had this nearsighted vision of baseball. For us, we're called here in God's word in Colossians to have our minds fixed on what is above, to be outfitted with a far-sighted hope of what's coming. Do you know that your life is hidden in Christ? Do you know that you are a child of the king who is reigning right now? Do you know that there's an inheritance that comes with that title? Live in this reality. 
Church, Oak Hill Church, we're outfitted with farsightedness, a farsighted hope. God has given the ending away to us. We know that he has victory in the end. Christ has already won the championship, and he wants you to take part in that victory. In John 6, 39 through 40, Jesus says this. This is something that uh, he says, and he talks about his father. This is the will of him who sent me, the father, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. If you are in Christ today, you can have a far-sighted hope. We're walking through a season that's been predetermined. We're outfitted with a far-sighted hope that empowers our mission because we know how the story ends, and we know that our king is victorious. We're going to continue on in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. We're outfitted with farsightedness, and we're outfitted with new team colors. Let's, let's read this. Colossians 3, starting in verse 5 through verse 10. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I want you to take a a little trip with me through your memory And I want you to think about your closet at home, the dark corners of your closet, and what might you find there beneath piles and piles of clothes. And I'm willing to bet that maybe about half, if not more in this room, could probably unearth an old jersey. It's vintage. You can picture it in your head right now. It's vintage. It's it's still still uh, got some stuff on it maybe. Maybe there are some stains that just haven't come out of it. And you love that old jersey. But it smells. Because some, there's something about that. If you have an old jersey from junior high or high school or college, it probably still carries with it something from that locker room or whatever else. And I know that you've got one because I have multiple And I'm not even that big of a sports guy. So I'm guessing that you probably have one sitting around. And according to Colossians, you should probably throw it away. And maybe your spouses would rejoice when you finally get rid of it. And they can tell you, hey, it's biblical. Colossians said, get rid of it. Of course, I'm not really talking about an old jersey, but it's a helpful reminder. Why do we keep these old jerseys? I mean, we, you probably don't even fit into it anymore. I don't fit into mine anymore. But it's a reminder of an old identity. And as a church, we're commanded to put off our old self and to let our old self go. And Colossians even gives, this, gives it the language to put the old things to death. <clears throat> What is the old self? It's full of the the sins that we just read. And the old self, it stinks. It's no good. You don't want to hang on to it anymore. And Christians, we can't be on mission as a church while being bound up by habitual sin. 
And you can take a look at the list that's listed there in in Colossians. We can't be on our mission when we're bound up by habitual sin. That's playing for two different teams. A team that's on mission to spread the good news of Jesus, to care for others. But then this other team, this hidden team that really just wants to satisfy your own desires. That's a house that's divided. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, that house that's divided against itself cannot stand. If you're struggling with one of the things that you saw listed there, a habitual sin where it's like, boy, I'm always angry. I'm always struggling with gossip. I have thoughts that I keep going back to and I entertain them. And if you've been in a cycle where you try over and over again to get out of it and it's not going anywhere, I want to call your mind back to one of the takeaways from the first point. And it's this, your sight determines your direction. And I would encourage you in this way, if all of your concentration is on your sin, it might be time to take your focus off of that and instead put your focus on Jesus Christ. Because when we keep trying to do it better and our focus is only on the thought that I just keep entertaining, instead, it won't take you anywhere. Instead, put your mind on Christ. Say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for my sins. Thank you for living that pure life. And the more that our focus, our mind is set on things above, the more we'll find that this old identity can be let go of. Acts 3.19 says this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And I love this part, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Church, Oak Hill Church, we can't live our mission stuck as our old selves. It's like showing up for game day in our sweatpants and Crocs, and we're not going to do so great. But here's the good news. We're outfitted with new team colors, which reflect the qualities of Christ. Do you remember getting your new jerseys, your new team colors? You played for a new team, and you got that, that fresh thing out of the box. It had this great texture, this great feel. The colors were vibrant. It wasn't dirty yet. Your name was on the back. Maybe you got to choose your number. And it was so awesome to get that new jersey and to know that you were a part of a new team. <clears throat> the righteousness that Christ clothes us with is impeccable. But we can't be outfitted with it while hanging on to our old selves. When I was in high school, I was in track in the spring. And track was one of the few sports where you're probably not so excited about the new uniform that you get. At least I wasn't as a freshman. Because there was something about those shorts that they would give you that were just too short. (laughs) And the tank top felt too loose. And I think... I think my team, I think they just traded them around. So it never felt really new either. And there was a time at a meet where I just said, as a freshman, I was like, I am not going to wear those shorts and run around that track in front of a bunch of people. So I took a pair of basketball shorts that was the same color as the uniform, and I brought those to the meet instead and wore those. And right before my event my coach pulls me aside and he was so frustrated with me. And I I didn't get it. I was like, it's fine. Like these shorts are the same color. It's not going to slow me down. He said, no, the reason that you can't wear your basketball shorts in the track event is because you might get disqualified. You're not wearing the right gear. 
It wasn't about how I felt about it. It was about, are you part of this team? And have you lived up to what's being presented to you? You're supposed to wear this uniform. <clears throat> Church, we can't go, we can't, we're not going to live out our mission in self-righteous old jerseys with dad bods hanging out and everything else. Christ has to outfit us. The gear's been bought for you already, and it had a hefty price, and Jesus paid the price for it. Our job is to surrender. I, I had no idea we were singing I Surrender All today. I was like, that fits so well. Our job is to surrender and admit that our best good works are like filthy rags. That's called repentance. Scripture says something amazing happens when we're willing to admit that we don't have it all together. Jesus preaches, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the high school and the junior high have been walking through the Beatitudes, and so this has been ringing through our minds. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A pastor named Eugene Peterson takes that phrase and turns it around this way, and he says this, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. So in the spirit of the Beatitudes, maybe this is what we could say. Church, we don't have it all together, and we're fortunate to be in that place. Why? Because in this mess, we'll experience the new outfit of God's grace, and we can learn to pass that outfit on to others. Only he gets the glory for accomplishing the mission of the church it's not going to be about us and about what we've done and how good we look. It's going to be all about what Christ has done for us. So what is this new outfit that we're given? The new team colors. It's the new self wearing the righteousness of Christ. Colossians says the new self is being renewed and the knowledge of the image of its creator, which is kind of a heady phrase, but think about it this way. The new team colors that you've been given are actually forming you into the image of your coach. And the longer that you wear them, the more and more you'll come to be like him. That takes us to number three. What else are we outfitted with? We're outfitted with new character. As we live in the new self given by Christ, we are formed more and more into his character, not the character that we drum up from ourselves, but what he's done for us. Here's your recap. We've been outfitted with farsighted hope, with new team colors, and to conclude, what does this team, this church, look like out on the field? What is its character? And what is the new character we're given? We're going to close by looking at Colossians 3, verses 11 through 14. 11 through 14. Here on this team, with its new colors, as the church, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As our closing thought, as God's people, as God's church, Oak Hill Church, we're called to be unified. And that unity isn't necessarily like something that you have to work for. It's a present reality that we need to understand that all of us are sinners saved by the grace of God. And therefore, here in these pews, we're not 
divided by whatever things you might call kind of a secondary identity. And those things in here were things like Greeks and Jews and slaves and everything else, stuff that probably maybe doesn't really connect with us today. But we have plenty of other things that polarize us. It might be Republican or Democrat or, I don't know, center part versus side part or boomers versus Gen Z and Gen X and whatever else, Packers versus Vikings fans, all of that. All those things are secondary identities under your first and primary identity that Christ has saved you and that we are all on his team by the grace of God. So when others come to Oak Hill looking for that far-sighted hope, May they not be distracted by divisions or the mess that we carry around of ourselves, the mess of our self-righteousness. Instead, may the world see that we have a unifying sponsor on our jerseys, a sponsor that says paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and a sponsor that has brought us to life through his resurrection. Let's live our mission as an outfitted people outfitted with a hope that gives us a far sight, outfitted with new team colors where our old self is gone, and outfitted with a new character being formed by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Father, today we thank you because we come here as a people knowing that there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves look better. Instead, it's all about what you have done for us. You've taken our sins, our wickedness, our self-righteousness, all the nasty stuff that we carry inside of us, and you've taken that and you said, let me make an exchange and give you instead my righteousness so that we can stand before you one day in confidence, not because of what we've done, but because of what you have done for us. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. Would you empower us to live out your mission? To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord for all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go in God's peace.